Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisiloff, editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who is our lead author. And we sent out a new version of the Transcript yesterday. And what we picked up this week in earnings calls was a continuation of high confidence and the belief that the economy is getting back to a more normal pace. In the U.S., vaccination pace is really strong. And it feels like the pandemic is becoming a thing of the past. So even just in my day-to-day life, you notice a lot more traffic on the streets, people out at restaurants. There's just a, uh, a normalization. It's, it's a lot different than it was six months ago. So you're seeing that in, in transcripts as well and a lot of business activity happening. And then the, the, the secondary story around that is that this is creating some inflation pressures as supply chains are still not normalized. So that's the big headline from this week. Makaya, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I'd add it's uh, pretty uh, amazing CEOs are really looking forward to having people back to work soon. So I think also like the, the targets, I think in the US mostly is that you, uh, from the president is that a lot of people should be vaccinated, the adults should be vaccinated by 1st May. And I think you can see that the CEOs are expecting a lot of people to be back to work and offices open in the summer. So I think that's different from the rest of the world, I would say. Uh, I think from what I'm reading, at least in Sweden, the vaccination rate is pretty slow. I think they just reached 12% of the population. And I think they stopped uh, vaccinating a couple of weeks ago, because uh, a couple of days ago, using the AstraZeneca vaccine. And that's the story around Europe. So what I get from reading earnings calls, I see more the US being faster than the rest of the world in terms of opening up. You could also see even Bank of Montreal in the and the earnings calls also saying that Canada is actually doing uh, not so well. So, I mean, that's generally what I'm picking, that the U.S. would open up faster, and I think more companies there would be doing better than those which rely on the rest of the world. Is that something you'd see also? Because I, I know, yeah. like, from talking to you, I see you you know more people who have uh, been vaccinated than I do over here in Sweden. Yeah, I think it's it's easy when you're in the U.S. to forget that we have an advantaged access to vaccinations to go along with a lot of advantages that we enjoy in the U.S. But yeah, we saw that at Bank of Montreal, even talking about in Canada, the vaccination rate is lower than in the United States and that the U.S. economy is getting a real boost from that. What we're seeing in the U.S. may be quite a bit different than what's going on in the rest of the world. What are the, the implications of U.S. opening and the rest of the world is still a bit uh, lagging behind? Well, I mean, I think from an economic standpoint, it's good for the rest of the world that the U.S. is opening, or it's not a negative for the rest of the world, at least, put it that way. And it's something that is typical of an economic cycle. I think, again, as an American, it's easy to forget uh, what an advantaged position we've enjoyed for the last 70 years within the global economy, if not longer than that, and know that for most of the last 70 years, the global economy has followed the US economy. And so this isn't a total economic focused event, but the same dynamics that have played out a lot of times in the past seem to be playing out here. So Definitely. I think also, as you caught on that high uh, market uh, quote about uh, supply chains being trying to recover, and at the same time still have, like bearing the brunt of some of the 
as a natural kind of is it you call it a natural disaster like there's a fire a fire in Japan that happens in semiconductor plant and then it pushes back uh, the, uh, like puts up more pressure on the supply chain the blockage in the Suez Canal which I think uh, has been lifted currently but I think which you still have some ripple effects going forward the story is that supply chains are trying to recover uh, a lot of companies uh, inventory levels are getting better but still the same challenge remains that supply chains are having a lot of pressure some companies are really thinking a lot on how to do price increases um, well, I think just to continue on the supply chain stuff that you were talking about, that we're definitely seeing the supply chain, lots of commentary around supply chains being tight. You would expect this to normalize in the near to medium term, to the extent that I even hesitate to, to say that you know tight supply chains are an investable catalyst. But you're seeing a lot of commentary around it. You're still seeing people with a lot of concern over inflation, partially because of that, because you have tight supply dynamics. And so that that is showing up in earnings calls. I think some companies also saying that they wish they had a little more inventory to take advantage of uh, how much the demand is to meet and uh, to meet in the market. So what other quotes stood out for you this week? Yeah, I think another thing that I was keeping an eye on and have kept an eye on in the last few weeks has been about stuff that could change in the long term as the result of the pandemic. And so I think really one of the biggest outstanding questions is around the nature of work. And we've covered this in a few different episodes, but will people go back into offices? Will people work from home more? Will people travel for work? These are still some of the big outstanding questions. If you have a view on which way these are going to go, there's definitely investable opportunities out there in public markets. For instance, you know, WeWork is coming to, to market via SPAC as Mokaya picked up. You know, if you believe that the nature of office space is changing, people are still going to go into offices. WeWork may be something that could benefit from that. Steelcase is another one where uh, actually, if you take the comments from Steelcase's CEO at face value that we saw this week, there's probably a pretty big opportunity for an investment return in Steelcase because Steelcase is saying from their conversations, only 17% of CEOs think that they'll downsize their footprint compared to 69% in August of last year. And so CEOs, management teams are thinking that people are coming back to work and they're planning to have people come back to work. And that's something that's, that's not fully appreciated by public markets yet. So if that comes to pass, then there's probably some room for stock price appreciation. Definitely. I mean, as time goes along, you see like people are getting a little bit fatigued with staying at home and being uh, people want the company or offices. Some of them are also reconsidering that they're going to have permanent office spaces or they're going to have flexible office spaces like WeWork. So, I mean, there is an opportunity there to invest, as you'd say. I think also something else which was a bit small, it's a it's, uh, inventory in housing is still pretty low. And uh, that means that uh, the housing supply situation has not yet normalized. I think prices are pretty high. But I saw like people are buying houses without actually ever having seen them. So it's it's a pretty tight supply chain supply for housing, even in Sweden, at least from what I've noticed, like housing prices are uh, are going up a lot. People are in need of more houses than they're out there. Yeah, I think in Los Angeles, I'm seeing the exact same thing. There's very low inventory. And again, a lot of these dynamics are pandemic driven, where you have people if they were going to move, where would they have moved to when we were in lockdown? And people are still kind of less mobile than they otherwise would be. And so that's starting to change and you would expect more inventory to be coming to market over time. But for now, at least inventories are really tight. 
you have people with a lot of money in financial markets. You've had big increases in market value of many assets as broad as Bitcoin and uh, GameStop up to, you know, the mega caps. So there are people with, with a lot larger balance sheets than they used to have tight supply, tight supply. And so the law of supply and demand is leading to higher prices. Speaking of crypto this week, NFTs are the talk of town these days, you know, like I think, was it, was it the CEO of Twitter who sold his tweet for 2 million? What do you have to say about that? I, do you want to create a transcript uh, NFT soon? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel like we should. I don't know. I mean, I have been a really huge skeptic of most of this stuff for the past many years. But one interesting insight maybe to add to the NFT discussion, which is that the last time we saw major inflation in the United States in the 1970s, you know, one of the asset classes that saw a lot of price appreciation, it was kind of a hot investment asset from retail investors were collectibles. And so, you know, things like baseball cards, things like collectible, like coins that were single, single mint, you know, privately minted with, with small production runs. Those things saw large increases in their value as a place where people were thinking it, it could be a place to put their money to, uh, to protect against inflation. And so we live in a digital world now. The nature of ownership is changing quite a bit. But there is an argument to be made that what you're seeing in NFTs is a sign of further broader inflation. Yeah, I, I mean, I see some of the prices being paid for some of the things out there. And it's ridiculous. Something else that we noticed in the tech section is that Intel is back. The CEO made some announcements this week about uh, their 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 plants i think it's they call it idm 2.0 so you i mean it's pretty interesting that a company which had kind of lost its way like intel is trying to get its way back right now i think they're trying to play catch up with tsmc the ceo the new ceo is trying to revamp things around so it's a company that like to keep an eye on they're changing strategy they're actually outsourcing a few of the they're using third-party foundries which is not has been not been their strategy for so long yeah, Intel is a really interesting one. It's been kind of this perpetual value trap, but there's a lot of positive things going for Intel. On the one hand, we know we've covered in a lot of depth how there's this semiconductor shortage, and one would think that Intel would potentially benefit from that. But on the other hand, I think last week we posted how the x86 architecture, which Intel had been dominant in for so long, is being upended by new forms of compute, including architectures like ARM's architecture. And so you have this disruption to Intel's core market, but at the same time, strong tailwinds in the semiconductor space, shortages from a manufacturing perspective, which is where Intel had historically shined. And then you have a change in management at Intel, which often creates a nice catalyst for a company. And then I think the stock is still trading at a pretty low multiple relative to earnings. And so you do have a lot of things lining up potentially for Intel to, to come back, so to speak. But I think that the burden of proof is still on the company to perform. Definitely. The thing that they have really going for them also is the geopolitical issues around the semiconductor. It's that uh, pretty much a lot of the semiconductors in, uh, the, in the market come from Asia and Taiwan to be specific. So it's a pretty good company to keep an eye on as all these winds of change kind of blow in their direction. Yeah. One more thing, I guess, that stood out to me that you picked up from Philip 66, talking about approaching 50% of their workforce being millennials and Gen Z. 
I thought that was interesting. One thing that we should always be keeping track of as investors are shifting demographic patterns. And you're just seeing this change in leadership of the economy slowly but surely from the baby boomers and Gen X towards millennials and Gen Z. And that could have some pretty big implications for the way that the economy is managed going forward, especially in terms of tailwinds from digitalization and technology, which millennials and Gen Z are more fluent in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us this week uh, as we also get up to the uh, Q1 2021. Earnings calls are coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, You can reach us out to admin at theweeklytranscript.com and give us your comments and feedback so that we can keep making this podcast better. Thank you so much for this week and see you the week after.